Welcome to the Adventure Audio Podcast. This episode is a conversation and an interview with Dirk Friel, who is a former professional cyclist. He is a current, he still races bikes. He is also a schemo racer, a very accomplished athlete, and also the co-founder of Training Peaks. So this is a really fascinating conversation. Um, Of course, we love hearing about Dirk's background, and that's pretty interesting. Uh, how he came up in Colorado and found the sport of cycling in particular, uh, but also to get into the little bit of the the building of Training Peaks and how that went into some of the science and methodology that they use. So we thought it was a really cool conversation. We hope you enjoy it uh, just as much as we did. And we really, really appreciate Dirk spending some time with us because he is a very busy guy uh, and we greatly appreciate his time. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Black Bibs the home to unbranded and affordable cycling apparel. The Black Bibs is where you can get the now legendary $40 bib shorts plus ultralight jerseys in solid colors. The Black Bibs won't make you feel like a rolling billboard. Check out theblackbibs.com if you want to be comfortable, cool, and most importantly, be yourself. We've been talking about the Black Bibs uh, for a little bit now. We've been using their products. They're absolutely awesome and the value is truly unbelievable. So check out theblackbibs.com to learn more about that. This podcast is also brought to you by the state bicycle company so state just released their race ready gravel machine at an accessible price it's the 6061 all road featuring a durable aluminum frame lightweight carbon fiber fork and you've got a bunch of different wheel choices because of tire and wheel sizes so it's a very very versatile bike um, and an incredible value so for an extra 399 you get both the 700 and the 650b wheel sets Um, State also builds the same bike in steel, and they also have a wide range of uh, single speed and fixies, and just a really, really cool company and really cool products. Check out statebicycle.com to order from them today, and if you use coupon or if you use code Adventure Audio, you will get free shipping. Thank you again to Dirk Friel. Thanks to the State Bicycle Company and to the Black Bibs. Thank you everybody for listening. As always. Uh, subscriptions are a very meaningful way to help us grow the podcast. So if you're able to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you find the show, we greatly appreciate that, as do positive ratings and reviews. Thank you again, and on to Dirk Friel. Um, so you, you guys have been getting a bunch of snowstorms, like normal Colorado weather there? Like what? Yeah, One I mean, Boulder is freaking awesome right now. Like yeah, we. Right? Not last night, but the last previous two nights, like it would snow at night. Yeah. And then like like twelve inches at Eldora and like two inches here. But then by the afternoon, just sunny, beautiful, awesome. Like I rode I mean, so nice right now. I mean I did Flagstaff, Sunshine, Linden yesterday, you know, and just It was so nice out, Um, but the mountains have totally got it. They're pristine. Like the, this is the time to ski. So I'm, I'm heading up tomorrow to Breck and I'm going to get some good ski days this weekend, just backcountry, and you can go steeper, deeper this time of year. That's great. That's great. (laughs) Well, let's, I mean, I'd love to talk about that a little bit. Like you've, you have this new passion, you know, outside of cycling. Yeah. And the race, I mean, I did, you know, the power yeah, let's, I'd love to hear, hear Aspen about Aspen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah tell us about that. R- remind me of the name. Power of Four. Power of Four. Okay. Yeah, and and a, they actually have a running race, a mountain bike race, and the Schemo race. Wow. And if you do all three, they have a champion of like all three, like the person with the best time that does all three of them. 
but I only do the, the schemo. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's like a six and a half hour race and 26 miles and you have to summit all four mountains at Aspen. It's point to point, um, like Snowmass, Buttermilk, Aspen Highlands, and then Ajax Mountain. And yeah, it's, and it's typically it's our national championship. So I've actually won it in 2019 and 2020 masters. Um, so this year was not a designated nationals because of COVID. Sure. Um, but, um, in 2021, this coming winter is the first year they're going to have a U.S. national masters schemo team. They've had U.S. national like elite. Now they're going to have masters as well. So my goal is to make the national team do a European trip and go to the world championships, get selected for the world championships. So that's kind of my goal going into this next winter. And what's awesome is the season wraps, wraps up like early March and you have all this crazy fitness just to tour with, you know, and just free ride, you know? So it's like perfect timing. Right. So, yep. That's great. Can you uh, explain to some of the listeners who don't know so much about this, like what, what this entails so like putting on a skin and you know yeah well you know. backcountry touring effectively so it's not telemark and it's yeah. not cross-country skiing yeah and it's not snowshoeing yeah. you you have a normal looking ski with kind of minimalist looking bindings um you have a free heel to go uphill and you put on your skins these skins they're sticky on one side and on the other side they kind of look like carpet in a way and they allow you to grip going uphill, but you don't slide back. And then you get to the top of the climb and you rip your skin off and you lock your boot into downhill mode. So there's no, you know, it's rigid and you lock in your heel. So you, you look like a normal Alpine skier. And I actually ski this setup, you know, at the resort. And so does my daughter. She's never had a regular Alpine setup. Um, so yeah, it just kind of opens up doors and allows you to get away from the crowds and explore backwoods need some good avalanche yeah. training to go along yeah. with it because it's yeah. certainly dangerous in that respect but it's just like mountain biking man it's like getting the endurance endorphins climbing um but then you get the great rush of the downhill you know just the free ride of the downhill so it's kind of the best of both worlds so it's nice to alternate mountain bike gravel and backcountry skiing that's great and uh, it seems like a lot of cyclists or, you know, ex, ex, you know, hardcore racers have gotten into it, you know, and it seems like it's yeah. really blown up over what last five to 10 years. Yeah. Probably say? five years, you know, yeah, yeah, five you years. ex cyclists, you know, um, locally I ski with Chris Baldwin. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Um, Timmy, Timmy Duggan. Yeah. Pat yeah. Brown. Pat Brown. Love him. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, and then up in the mountains, like Closure's really into it, right? My Closure. Oh yeah, he's definitely into it. He raced Power Four this year. Oh, he did. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah. Um, I'm actually going to race with him. He usually does it the the GoPro Games in June in oh. Vail. Oh yeah. Really, really cool event. Um, so I I do the mountain bike race there, and it's usually chasing Closure. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot of a lot of people do the same thing. Chase yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you know, um, it'd be great to like, uh, 
just hear a little bit about how you, where you grew up and how you got into bike racing and a little bit about your, your folks and, you know, yeah. I'd love to hear, hear about training peaks and yeah, the, that, the whole, uh, genesis of all that. Yeah. It's all a pretty cool story. So cool. Let me tell it now. I assume we're recording. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, we just we are. Yeah, go <laughs> for it. Yeah, because you were sort so of that's a whole lot. Well, you're just sort of you were you were just you were born into yeah. a spot where you uh, some of this stuff was inevitable. I yeah, think. it seems like yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I mean, just growing up in Colorado, lived in you know an endurance sports related family you know my parents were runners and then triathlon came around and they took up triathlon and my dad owned a he he was a a track coach in high school cross-country track coach and he gave up that and bought a running store in fort collins colorado and that was like 1980 so i was i was 10 years old and we had this running store and then it became the first that we know of triathlon store in the world because he bought the bike shop next door and he tore down the wall between. So Mm -hmm. now I'm 12 years old and my dad owns a bike shop. And so within triathlon, I just love cycling the most. So I just really kind of took to the bike. I think what I loved about it was connecting towns. I could go to my next town and couldn't drive yet, but I could just leave town and go explore and there was a spike race called the Coors Classic, you know, down the road in Boulder. So I'd actually, when I was, when I, well, when I was 13, our family vacation, we rode from Oregon to Tijuana when I was 13. Wow. So that was our family vacation, you know, a week, a couple of weeks on the road on the, on two wheels. So then wow. I took up bike racing and, uh, you know, the Coors Classic was going on and it went through our town and I could just go ride and go see every single stage that, you know, the local stages. Um, and that really got me going, you know, seeing Davis Finney and Kiefel and Hampston. And I mean, I, you get to see Bernardino and Phil, Phil Anderson and all these kind of big names, you know, like right near hometown. So I was just hooked you know, from all that. So I, I knew when I was about 12 years old that somehow I was going to get to Belgium. And, I, you know, growing up in northern Colorado, it was really windy and we had a lot of great group rides. And I just really learned how to fight in the wind on these local group rides. And I wasn't always the most talented, but I, I knew how to position myself. And so, yeah, when I turned 19, I just kind of got a one-way ticket to Belgium and made a go of it. Um, did a couple national team trips in there as well and went to the Olympic Training Center as a junior. And happy to say I beat Bobby Julik in the state championships when we were 17 years old. So I always have to give him that oh, yeah, nudge. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I came down to he and I and I beat him in the sprint. And uh, okay. I'll never let him forget that. <laughs> that's, that's great that's great and then you know bobby and i we drove to somerville in the summer of 1987 and that's when we met uh george hincapi for the first time you know we knew rich hincapi from the olympic training center but george was only like 13 years old at the time and we were 17 so just so many connections went back to that mid 80s late 80s time frame when we were juniors and just we would do anything for a bike race i I drove my car, a stick shift with no, 
no cruise control, no AC, no hotel, just a sleeping bag. And we slept on the ground and we drove to Labitabee, you know, nice. like in Canada yeah. and Bobby won it. Um, so somehow, you know, I, I ended up turning pro in Belgium and I guess I retired in 2002 last year, racing pro and about 97 is when I started coaching with my father. So he eventually sold his store and started coaching, um, cyclists, triathletes, runners around the whole world. And he was using the fax machine basically to do it and email, email attachments. So when I joined the family business of coaching in 97, I saw a great opportunity to streamline things and make it more efficient, create a better quality service for our, our clients. And, you know, by developing a web-based kind of calendar journal training program, you know, everything integrated, compatible with all the devices. That was my vision. That was 1999 when we started working on it. And luckily, the best man in my wedding, Gear Fisher, was the only developer, web developer I knew in the entire world. So I pitched him on the idea to help us out. And, you know, he came on board and started working on it. He had a day job and we did it at night. And it went live in 2000. Um, and then by probably end of 2002 is when we were working full time on it. Um, gear first. And then I came on full time in 2003. And I, yeah, we never looked back. Like, luckily, yeah. knock on wood, it, it was great timing. The internet, um, I think, you know, that was a big trend. It was the internet, um, devices, power meters, and then coaching, you know, coaching endurance athletes as a profession is not that old. <laughs> it yeah, is under, sure. it's right. under, it's under 20 years old, you know, that profession. And we kind of rose with, with that. Um, trend. And then I'd say early on, really triathlon. I mean, triathletes were the ones that were really paying us um, for the service. And I was a pure cyclist at the time. And I was like, God, why don't these cycling teams use us? You know, they're using SRMs. And yeah, but it was very traditional. I think the masters riders, masters racers in America were more advanced at the time than like Tour de France teams were because there's so much tradition in the sport and we, we could buck that trend as you know, I wasn't masters at the time, but masters racers here kind of developed a lot of these metrics and ways of using the power meter. And, you know, and then we, we helped develop training stress score and the performance management chart. And really the, the early adopters of that were 45 plus, you know, um, racers. Um, it didn't take, it didn't really take off with, within the pro teams, until 2006, I'd say, when Dr. Lothar Heinrich of, of T-Mobile brought us in to work with that team. That was our first pro team. And then we got Lotto. And then we got, you know, we started to get more and more. So it really kind of started in 2006. So that's a kind of a summary of my life up through 2006, I'd say. <laughs> But yeah, it's been such a great, great ride and still a lot more to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great to see kind of where you were. I mean, I was around there in Boulder in those in the early 2000s. And, you know, I remember you just 
working your tail off and <clears throat> and to see you today it's just it's it's amazing at, at training peaks to to go yeah. from I mean, doing it in your part time in 2000 yeah. to be working with pro teams by 2006 is crazy yeah. that's a crazy ride yeah and i think you know uh obviously the the culture in cycling is done 180 you now you actually are responsible to the team when you go home the team is responsible to you to help oversee your program when you're at home it used to be like hands off you know you're yeah. only really responsible to the team when you showed up to the start line and then when you left and went home you're just on your own so there's been a whole lot of change there for the better and so yeah. with that i hate to, you know it, it, there's responsibility both ways and because of that technology there's a space there for technology um to thrive and it it's more than emailing a .srm file every day to the team, you know, to really do it efficiently. You know, we all know how that, what that looks like now. It's very easy. It goes Bluetooth to your phone and it's in the cloud and you don't touch a single darn thing anymore. So it's super easy. It's now a commodity. I mean, there's hundreds of apps that will track your training, right? So that's become yeah. a commodity and you can do it for free. Um, so I think we're really where we made our name and our expertise is an expert instruction. You know, when you have the question, what should I do tomorrow? Then you start to seek out our services and training peaks and find a coach and get a training plan. And you, if you have a goal, you know, that's eight months from now, you don't just bang your head against the wall and go hard every day. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the worst way to, to improve, you know? So your rest days are just as important as your, your hard days. Um, so yeah, so I, you know, we owe a lot to the, to the profession of coaching and coaches that are our customers and we help, we help them build their business along the way. That's great. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have a small coaching business and you've been, we've had training peaks the whole time and it's been, it's been awesome and everybody, lo everybody loves it. Yeah. yeah very can you can, thank you can you tell us about training tss training stress score and how you developed that i think it's awesome yeah i mean you know dr andy coggin really kind of developed that work and it really kind of comes down to you know your threshold number you know what what kind of power can you put out for an hour time trial um if you do a one out no matter if it's running or swimming cycling whatever it may be whatever the test is you know in cycling it's a one hour power. So that's 100 points. It's yeah. simple. Let, let's just compare everything to like the hardest effort you can do for an hour. And then everything in relation to that, um, you can start to quantify every single training day, training file. Um, so the majority of your training is probably at like 50, 60% of that power, you know, I mean, just to be able to do the volume, you know, the, the polarization, 80-20, 80% of your training is probably going to be at 50% of your threshold power, you know, roughly speaking. Um, but if you do a very, very hard effort, you know, for 15 minutes, you're going to accumulate maybe 30 points in that 15 minutes. But you wouldn't be able to maintain that for an hour. And so by definition, you can never accumulate more than 100 points in an hour. And if you do, it means your threshold is set too low. You need to reassess yeah. your threshold. And that's yeah. a good thing. Like threshold should change. That's the reason we train. 
you want effectively, I would say heart rate threshold may not change. Um, but the more output at the same heart rate input is really what we're training for. So now that we have uh, a score for every single training day, uh, training stress score, we can then look at that over time to look at a macro level. So we really look at your last 40, your, your last six weeks, your 42 day um, kind of exponentially weighted rolling average. So the training you did seven days ago affects, affects this training load more than the training you did, you know, four weeks ago. Um, but it's all accounted for. Yeah. And, and, and we think of that as your fitness. It takes a long time to build fitness. Um, so our, our formula is 42 days, but that can actually be changed in the software. You can adjust that. Um, and that's called chronic training load. So CTL um, is what it's referred to in the science. And then from there, we do the very same calculation, but at a seven day exponentially weighted rolling average. And that's your fatigue. That's your acute training load. So you can imagine going into a training camp and you train really hard for, for four days, your fatigue is going to rise faster than your fitness does. So essentially you're going to be, your fatigue yeah. will rise higher than the fitness um, curve is. And that's not when you want to go to the, your A priority race. You know, right. you, you want to show up to your big important event with really high fitness and really low fatigue. Because if you don't, someone who's less fit than you can beat you, <laughs> right? Yeah, and that's right. All, that yeah. always sucks. Yeah. So I think what we've developed in, you know, this is the, the performance management chart. So um, the, the form, you have fitness, fatigue, and form. The form is the training stress balance, or TSB. And you want that form to be positive on race day, on your important race day. Um, so there's no single formula that works for all cyclists, however, or all athletes. And that's the beauty of getting a coach and getting, collecting the data and seeing the trends over time because you are unique and you are not the middle of the bell curve. You know, everybody has their own kind of unique formula for how long it takes them to get in shape and how much taper do they need going into the race and everybody's different. And a, a veteran cyclist, even in the Tour de France, if you look at the veterans, you know, they can go deeper in the red. They can have more fatigue than a Neo Pro for the most part. Sure. You know, a younger rider can't go as deep or, or as many days, you know, in the red per se. So I always say there's no one single formula, but what we've developed is a, a way to sort of visualize it. And it's almost like a picture. And I like to say, if you're painting your own self-portrait and every day you get one stroke, you know, a little yellow today, you know, a little blue tomorrow, a little green the next day, like that is what your personal training program looks like. It's Every day's training is just one stroke, but at the end of the season, you should have like this beautiful portrait, right? Ideally. Um, and if you, if you'd messed up the nose or their eye or the ear or yeah. something in that portrait, you're like, okay, that was that year. I want to make my nose look better next year, you know? So how do I reproduce, you know, this, um, you want to reproduce what went well, and you want to try and stay away from 
how, where you went off the rails, you know, where'd you get yeah. sick? Where, where'd you get injured? Why, what led to, to that? So sometimes the secret yeah. is like data and, and it's not just data. It's the subjective feelings. We're not here to replace subjective data. You know, we don't get enough subjective data from athletes. So putting in comments in the post-workout comments, your rate of perceived exertion, how'd you feel? Very, very important metrics. And they've even proven sometimes those are better than the actual numbers to track, right? Um, but tracking all that data allows you to mine it later on. When you have the when you have the question in your mind, how much time did I spend at threshold, you know, in April of 2020? Well, hopefully you have the data and that can help relate to to this year. Um, so yeah, so we sort of look at things in a holistic holistic manner. That's great. It's really, it's absolutely fascinating. It is. Yeah. Isn't yeah. I'm like hanging on every word. That's right. Like, it's crazy. How different does a training plan look for an athlete who's looking to have multiple peaks in a season versus somebody who's got like the one big bucket list ride that they're doing? Oh, wow. That's so yeah. Yeah, individualized. Um, I mean, just simply, how does it look? Well, it's, you know, I mean, if you have more peaks, it's kind of tougher in a way. I mean, it can go either way. Like, yeah. it's just so individual. Some some people can have great, you know, three great peaks and others, there's no way in hell they could even mentally take that on. And they need to focus on one big peak per year. Um, but yeah, fundamentally, it would look, you know, kind of very different, if you will. You might have a re- you might have a uh, several recovery periods after the first two peaks. You might have to revisit some of the base training, you know, before the third peak because yeah. you know that muscular endurance, aerobic capability, fat oxidation that kind of degrades if you right. ignore it for long enough. It it's fairly easy to maintain, but yet it does degrade. So if you're ignoring that for three months, you know, you, you probably need to dip back into it to get some of that efficiency, aerobic efficiency back up prior to the third peak. Whereas if you only have one peak, well, then you can just nicely time it and be like, well, I'm going to spend, I'm going to do, do a really nice periodized program here. And you only have to do that once, you know? Um, so that's a, it's kind of a difficult question, but they're, yeah. they're pretty different. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, does your activity in one sport is going to then affect your training plan in a different sport, right? Like for you, the, the work that you're putting in, um, on skis is going to, like, if you had a cycling plan, the, the software will obviously take all of that stress score into account, right? Yeah. Well, my skiing is primarily heart rate based intensity. It's very tough to measure speed or you can't do power at all. So it's heart rate. The most, the best way to track training load is through a bike power meter. It's the most accurate way to measure output that we have. Um, But efficiency and economy are the biggest differences. So if I spend five months in ski mode, um, 
when I come out of that, yeah, I'll be very fit, aerobically fit, et cetera. But then I'm just like pedaling squares on the bike. And now my lower back is hurting. And literally like this week was week one of bike training for me, you know, like right now. And I, I have a month and a half until my first bike race, which is the GoPro game. GoPro uh, games, cross-country mountain bike. Nice. So I won't be ideally suited for that race. That's going to be like a B priority race. But then more, my A priority race still isn't a whole lot of time to pre- prepare for. But July 4th, uh, Firecracker 50, mountain bike race, five-hour race for me. I'll be better prepared for that simply because I'll have more weeks of training on the bike. And I mean, literally like just my lower back, you know, my neck, my shoulders, uh, pedaling in squares, you know, like it's, it's obviously different. So I will become more efficient at utilizing my oxygen, you know, in that sport as I spend more time, but I kind of start almost all over again, each, each year, you know, twice a year, you know, once, once a year I go into skiing, once a year I go into bike mode. Um, but as an older athlete, 51 it's been a great benefit it really rounds out my body you know i get to use different muscles but they do relate very closely you know backcountry skiing schemo racing is like doing stairmasters or step ups yeah yeah you know for five yeah. hours yeah. and that's actually kind of beneficial to cycling <clears throat> it's a different motion so economy is off but they've they do very, very much relate in a way in terms of fitness or um, building fitness. Um, but I've, as I said, like as a one sport athlete cycling, um, I could definitely tell parts of my body were just breaking down because it's it, it's so focused in certain, you know, muscle um, in muscles that you you use. Um, so it's nice to kind of like introduce another sport and kind of round out. And I think it's even if it's cyclocross, you know, it, it's good to kind of mix it up, you know, just to work on the core and the back and, and just other, even your upper body, you know, gives longevity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You look great. I mean, I think it's good to have that balance. It's good for your head too. Right. I mean, it, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm sure when you're out, you know, skinning up one of these 12,000 foot peaks, you know, you have a pretty clear head and I'm sure you have some pretty good ideas business wise or your personal yeah. life your family or well, know, no matter what like great. doing doing a five-hour workout will give you a lot of time to think no matter what you're doing oh yeah but yeah oh. it definitely uh keeps it fresh yeah i mean and then i'm on the bike i mean i have the road bike i have the gravel bike i have the mountain bike you know so even that right there is fun just mixing up the different types of bikes is like so fun depending on the weather and the trail conditions and who's riding and that's that's been awesome too yeah we're we're big fans of gravel it's yeah it's just it's awesome and it makes the season longer too like on both ends it feels like like if you live somewhere where it snows a lot so yeah Yeah. absolutely i'm doing the steamboat gravel nice and there's a new there's a new race in netherland i don't know if you heard about oh yeah yeah um dead man yeah, Barry's putting that on. I think. They yeah. just changed yeah, the yeah. name. I That's think. Great. I think it's called. I think it's called Ned Gravel now. I think they changed it. it. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It scares <clears throat> me away. 
not not a super friendly name what the steamboat's a big race though hey yeah unfortunately i've not done it yet but i was registered for 2020 i was also registered for the breck epic mountain bike stage race um and i'm actually not going to do it until 2022 because i did i paid for it for 2020 covid happened this year, I moved my daughter into the dorms for her university, so I can't do it. So they allowed me to push that another year. Oh, <laughs> so I great. paid like I paid in 2019 for a race in 2022. <laughs> that's great. That's COVID times right there. <laughs> yeah. I love it. So you pretty much with training things, you guys work with almost all the sports. Is there any sport you don't cover? Well, yeah, certainly. I mean, There's lots of sports we do, but endurance but, sports. And yeah, and that's what I mean, endurance sports. Yeah. yeah. If you if you care about heart rate or how far you've gone more than like two miles, then we tend to be in the crosshairs of what you'd want to use for the sport. Yeah. Um, so we have, but yet we have, we have F1 teams. Yeah. You know, we have F1, NASCAR, IndyCar. Motocross? Stuff. What? Motocross? Yeah, motocross, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You have entire teams, you know, on. And every sport's getting so specialized now, you know, that it's really kind of comes down to the coach. How does the coach best monitor, manage efficiently the training programs, you know, of their athletes? And that's also where we, we tend to come into play is helping the coach become more efficient and more effective. <clears throat> so we have Olympic equestrians, you know, on wow. training peaks and that's sailors great. like uh, the America's Cup, you know. So oh, yeah. certainly very diverse. We may not have sailing as a sport type, you know, in training peaks, but, you know, it still can be leveraged. Sure, sure. Right. And the idea of of serving those types of sports with that type of information like 20 years ago would have sounded crazy, right? Yeah, I think it's funny. Like each sport is at a different age in terms of development. Like early on, a few minutes ago, I said how triathlon, triathlete, you know, triathlon coaches were kind of like the early adopters. Well, they were 20 years ahead of, you know, most cycling coaches, but then the cycling coaches caught up really fast. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? As a whole, if I look at tour de France, um, coaching in, you know, early 2000 versus like Ironman coaching, you know, I would have kind of put Ironman ahead in a way. Um, they were more open to technology. They had no tradition. They, they could just try everything new, fresh, the latest and greatest. Um, yeah. But that's some sports are still very traditional. Um, and so not every sport is at the same level per se in terms of adoption of new ideas and new technology, et cetera. And now, you know, cycling, obviously, now they're like leading the pack, like, you know, HRV and all kinds of stuff, you know. Um, so it's it's really interesting to see the the culture of different sports. That's really really intriguing to to see that. Yeah, yeah. it is because major professional sports are not using well, 
systems like Training Peaks, right? No, they are. I, I don't want to say that at all. But for example, like in my opinion, collegiate cross country running is very traditional. Um, they tend to train to the fastest person in the group. It doesn't really tend to be that individualized. And a lot of the athletes burn out before they get to, you know, nationals or the qualifying, you know, and, but yet the talented best athlete, it's perfect for them. You know, they're peaking right on time. But if we individualize more of the training, more of the athletes would perform better, you know, at those important races, but they tend to train down to, to the fastest person, you know, it, that's how it tends to be. Um, you know, so there's so much more opportunity, even in high school sports to, to train to the individual. And I'm not saying train harder, but it really comes down to like training the individual and not training to the group, you know, and the group dynamics. And that is so much of what it used to be in cycling as well. Like you go to the training camp and do the group thing. And now you see a camp camps. It's like, Oh, they're giving individual programs and okay, we're all going to head out together. But when we get to this climb, you know, we all have our own targets. You know what I mean? Um, and that's been great and refreshing. I think other sports can, can there's more to be done in that. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to improve a much higher percentage of athletes that way. Exactly. Right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, wow, I never thought of things in those so anyways, terms. So anyways, there's, there's uh, it's just, it's also exciting. Like there's, you know, there's, there's room for improvement, I think, in a lot of areas and a lot of different sports as well, you know. That's great. I love it. And that's, that's what makes it exciting, right? I mean, that's why you're still, lo- I mean, you, you love your job. I can just tell. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a dream for sure. It's been great to work with different teams and coaches and athletes, you know, along the way. And, and I mean, you know, we have a a really big um, coaching group uphill athlete on training peaks and they focus on, um, you know, big mountain objectives, you know, Mount Everest and Denali and traverses and these huge epic you know, amazing high altitude objectives, um, you know, being monitored, you know, through training peaks. And it's exciting to see athletes on Mount Everest. They're actually recording their daily, you know, workout like in training peaks. And then a coach on a totally different continent is reviewing that and giving them feedback on, you know, how to, you know, go up tomorrow or not, you know, based on weather and fitness and all kinds of stuff or preparing even like months out away from the actual expedition itself, you know, getting the athlete as well prepared as possible. So when they show up, they can actually achieve their objective. So it's not just athletes with a start finish line. We're seeing big growth in people that just have these personal goals to summit or to cross or to traverse or run solo the grand canyon you know north to south or whatever it might be so it's really cool to see the the emergence of these new experience experiential you know athletes it's it's not all about the start finish line 
Yeah. That's so neat. I love yeah. it. It's really cool. Yeah. Possibilities are endless, really. Yeah. Well, and in coaching too, there's so much more opportunity in coaching because <laughs> so many people need and want that expert advice, but they don't even know it really exists sometimes. Yeah. You know, and so they'll, they'll go off the latest article in whatever magazine they read, but that's the middle, middle of the bell curve, you know, <laughs> yeah. and they are, they might be to the extreme of one way or the other. And so if they got that expert instruction, oh my God, they would improve so much more, you know? So it's, it's great seeing athletes achieve their goals through expert instruction and, and, and deliberate practice, you know, with a coach. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so you've helped for what, a couple decades now you've been helping athletes become more efficient and now you're helping musicians become more efficient. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I think that's awesome. Well, yeah. So our, our corporate umbrella is peak swear. We don't promote peak swear, but we have four brands within peak swear. They all help people, you know, get better at the things they love to do, um, through deliberate practice. Um, so within sports, we have training peaks and we also have train heroic and train heroic is in strength and conditioning. Um, same thing as training peaks it helps the coach better manage their, their athletes and their teams. We have everything from high school teams to NFL teams and NBA teams, but we also have special ops. We have CrossFit, you know, we have moms looking to lose weight, you know, working with a personal trainer. So, um, it's a very similar model to training peaks. And then we took the same model into music, you know, and instead of a coach, you have a teacher, instead of an athlete, you have a student, instead of a race, you have a concert, instead of heart rate files, you have music files. Um, the teacher, traditionally music did not really individualize, you know, it was like, all right, kids, clarinets, you you know, take this home tonight. Here's practice 20 minutes a day like right don't and just keep stumbling on the same notes over and over and over and over again nobody knows if you know the student actually did their time they don't know how well they did they couldn't personalize the homework so now we have an app a company make music but they produce an app called smart music and so now that sheet music and that homework assignment can be tightened up, like repeat this section and do it eight times, <laughs> you know, and to, to Sally, you know, that's her individualized homework assignment for the clarinet. Um, Sally will go home and use the app and the app actually will record them and it will get a, give immediate feedback. So if they hit the note, it's green. If they miss the note, it's red and they get a score after they play that section. And basically they hit submit. And so then the teacher can wake up in the morning like a coach and see who did their homework or workout. And instead of reviewing power and heart rate files, they're looking or listening to the, the music file. And then they can continually um, individualize that, those assignments, you know, to the, to the student. Um, so COVID really it's kind of a blessing in disguise in a way for that business. You know, schools had to go remote. Um, we have the LA school district, for example, came on board during COVID and really kind of, kind of was amazing how we were able to help so many schools out and we gave it away for free um, wow. all the way up through, I think September, like back to school, 2020, 20. Yeah. This, this last back to school, we gave it away for free 
to any new accounts. Um, and so yeah, that's awesome. yeah, that was, that was really yeah. cool to see that growth. And we have a music publishing business called Alfred. Um, so a lot of people might, might know the Suzuki method of learning the violin. Um, so Alfred publishes all the Suzuki content, whether it be on paper or digital. And we take all that content into smart music and we then digitize it and make it interactive. So, yeah, um, obviously I play primarily on the athletic side of the business, but, um, you know, being chief evangelist for Peaksware, co-founder of Peaksware, you know, definitely uh, work on music side a bit as well. So that's been fun. Have you picked up an instrument? I did. I started the bass a few years ago. It's kind of ebb and flow. We had a, uh, the executive team would play the uh, company Christmas party for a couple of years. (laughs) So I'd have to get, I'd have to get really good on one tune. (laughs) So uh, I've I've dabbled, uh, but I'm more about the being on the bass. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. What's so cool. How many people you're helping out, Dirk? You know, lucky you and lucky you know, all of us too. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a great, great, great fun for sure. And um, yeah, there's so much more yet to do. You know, it's like you always, I always yeah. see the product that I want today, but it's actually takes five years to develop it. You know, like, she's like, you're always like trying to improve every single day. So that that's fun too. And, you know, trying to have, practice, deliver practice, you know, within our business as well. Um, you know, having coaches to help people learn and get better within their job, you know, the same model works in all areas of of life where you're trying to improve. So that's kind of neat to see how it's, how it's applied outside of just sports. I like that. Yeah. So, uh, back to, back to training, are there any numbers like new kind of numbers coming out or do you, do you see, what do you see in five or 10 years? Like, are we going to be able to see, I don't, I don't know. I always wonder about like during my career, I don't know. I felt like I had the ability to suffer, you know, is there a number for that? <laughs> you know what I mean? A number, like a number, like how, di- how deep can that athlete dig? You know, it's tr- uh, It's like training. I just read something recently about training resistance. It's kind of like that, but, you know, so the, the willingness to like pick yourself up again and keep come back and keep fighting. Like sometimes will we, I, will we someday have a number for that or something like that? If that makes sense at all. Like it sounds like you're trying to describe one's potential. Like I guess they have, could yeah. they have more? Sure. Can they go fight for another round? You know what I mean? Like and some athletes that are really talented, they have all these great numbers and all that, but but once they get to the 11th round and they can't get back up again and go to the 12th round, whereas some are scrappy and they figure it out. <clears throat> I mean, there's some numbers that we track like fatigue resistance, you know, sure. stamina yeah. in, in like WKO is one of our products. Oh, That's yeah. really a numbers game right there. But I think so much of it obviously is mental and you can't put a number to the, yeah. I think you can see improvement in mental. You can definitely see areas of improvement on the mental side of racing and training. I don't know about, I also wouldn't want to put, Hey, you're yeah. on a, you're on a six in terms of your potential. Like in a way it's like, sure. Yeah, totally. But 
the mental side, I think there's still a lot to be done there. Helping athletes better prepare. Um, yeah, I'd agree. I'd but agree. I also want to like, what are your thoughts on racing with a power meter? I think we should always race with one to collect, but we shouldn't look at it all the time. We shouldn't I, have it be the barometer. There's certain times when it can be a benefit, but primarily racing should be instinct because you can go farther than what training told you you could. First, sure, you always can go farther than you think you can, for sure. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm 100% behind. That. So you both would like to see your athletes train all the time with power, race with only the coach collecting the data, but not like not displaying on a head unit or anything and just race by feel. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I mean, I can go with that for most of the, most of the time until they've proved themselves like horrible at pacing. <laughs> yeah. So then it might become a time to right. teach a lesson, like have them start time trialing, have them start climbing, not looking at it, you know, in races, for example, look at the data afterwards and find areas of improvement. Don't overload the athlete with too much information and data, but there might be clear and obvious ways that they pace that 20 kilometer time trial completely wrong. Yeah. Even though you spoke to them about it before, you know, it's, it's a tailwind, it's a headwind, you know, like, okay, well, we got to prepare for the headwind, you know, they lost, you know, five minutes in the last 10 K well, you know, yeah. like there are ways to pull the data out and then you might have them race. Okay. You're still horrible. Let's try and let's keep it below this watts. And that can be very difficult for an athlete to do. Like keep it below 300 or 280 watts or 250 watts or whatever it is for the first 10 minutes. Like that can be very, very, very difficult um, without them actually having the objective data in front of them. But ideally, we get through that learning curve and then they can become more self reliant and we might see breakthroughs. And one thing I think about is Pojakar yeah, on the La Planche de Belfi, the final time trial last yeah. year. Yeah. He won the time trial in a time trial. He, he won the Tour de France in a time trial <clears throat> by not having a power meter because he had yeah. nothing, kind of nothing to lose, no, right? He had, had nothing to, to lose. Flat out, right? Exactly. So that was pretty cool to see him race without it. I, I still would have liked to have seen him race with it and then look at the data later, but sure just have the box under his seat you know um but i still think especially road racing like there are times in road races where you're in the gutter in a crosswind you can't be thinking about numbers it's all about separating mind from body and just figuring that out you got to figure out how to separate the pain from the the task at hand you know and like yeah yeah. You're not going to sit there and put a monitor on yourself and say, slow down. <clears throat> but if you get through that moment, you just made the breakaway. <laughs> and then yeah, it gets easier great. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's so. great. Same thing on a climb. You're going up a climb and, you know, a, a group attacks and, you know, those are the all the strong riders and you have to be there. That's the race. You don't look down at your power meter and say, oh, no, I can't go. I got you know, right? You just go, you try, right? Yeah. If you fail, fail, you fail, but. Yeah, yeah. At least you fail yeah. trying. 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's one thing I do love about road racing is the instinct part of it and going deeper than you thought you could. Yeah. And it might be in the first 10 minutes of the race, you know, of a three and a half hour race. Cause it's, it's yeah. crazy fast on the first climb and you got to make that group. Um, yeah. Which would be, by the numbers, that's the opposite of what you should do, right? <laughs> but that's the beauty of road racing is you have this draft effect that is such an advantage, um, which is not triathlon, you know? So triathlon in that same course would completely say, do the opposite, you know, hold it back for the second half or whatever. Um, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's what I still love about road racing is how it, it still can be a chess game on wheels, but like, there's moments when you can't predict. Yeah. <clears throat> this is great. Thanks this for doing this, Dirk. We appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real treat to have you on. So where can people uh, find more about Training Peaks and follow along with some of your uh, racing exploits? I've been watching, following on Instagram and there's, uh, <laughs> there's some awesome stuff. Pictures. Well, Training Peaks is easy, you know, trainingpeaks.com. But I mean, me personally, I'm not really on Twitter or Facebook. It's really more just short photos, et cetera, on, on Instagram. So just Instagram at Dirk Friel. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I like to say I don't post the good stuff. <laughs> you know, you, can't, you, never, you, you, always, you never post the good stuff, like the really good stuff. It's like, ah, you don't want people to know about this. This is too good. <laughs> for sure for sure well it, lo it looks pretty good it looks pretty good Dirk. yeah yeah well yeah, yeah. it's really really nice to have you on and uh yeah thanks for taking the time you know again with us and uh, we appreciate yeah. that we appreciate that and uh yeah let's get out for a ride when i'm back down there in boulder absolutely that'd be, man and that'd be fun someday someday we've got to ski together <laughs> I i'd like that i'd like that well, yeah i think they're gonna get power meters for uh skis um yeah. there's kind of a little device that goes on your ski um made made by pomoka but okay. not not really it's like definitely not as good as even a run power meter you know uh, so okay. i think there's value in the run running power meters sure. up to a certain point when you're hiking up a 20 percent grade they're not good but for general running i think Running parameters are definitely a good way to go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, well, guys. Uh, yeah. We appreciate you coming on and uh, ho hope to see you soon. Yeah. Super. And, uh, and you know, let's uh, let's have you back on. We can talk shop again. That'd be great. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, it's it's the training insights. Awesome. We'd love to have you back for sure. Yeah. yeah. We we can <laughs> yeah. set. You know what? We can set up questions and get some people to write in. And All right. I try. I think, not I think to people would dig expert. it. I try not to say I'm the expert coach, so I got to sell, you know, a bunch of other coaches. <laughs> I'm not here to replace them. <laughs> and actually, I don't coach anymore. It's kind of kind of nice sense. just to pr promote, you know, working for other coaches. So, yeah, anyways, yeah. yeah, yeah, fun talking about it, though. Yeah, that's great. Thanks a lot, Dirk. Yeah, thanks, Dirk. Appreciate it. So we... Thank you. 
another big thank you to Dirk for spending some time with us and teaching us a little bit about training peaks and some of that cool stuff and telling us about his background um, in the sport. It was a lot of fun to chat with him. We greatly appreciate everybody listening. Thank you again for doing so. Uh, once again, if you're able to subscribe, like, share, comment on things on social media, as always, we'd love to hear from you. If you have training questions, comments about something that you heard in the podcast, anything that you want to learn more about, hit us up anytime, adventureaudiopodcast at gmail.com. We will be back soon with another episode.